Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 291 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining me tonight. We are going to have a as fun a show as we can have with the team as currently constructed. First up, Allison McCaig and I talk about the Mets' plan to contend next year, some injury news, and more. All right, folks, we are... Uh... We're recording this on August 1st, so the Mets have just been swept by the Nationals after they split the weekend series with the Pirates, but a lot has happened since we last recorded. The most, uh, I guess, pressing bit is that as Drupal Cabrera is no longer a Met, he was traded to the Philadelphia Phillies, and it certainly was not a surprise move. Um, I wouldn't even say that it was... I would say it would have been more surprising had he not been traded. Um, before we get into the return for a second, aside from the bat flip, which is, you know, everybody's lingering memory of Cabrera, Allison, what would be your sort of most uh, most memorable moment from uh, the Israel Cabrera era? 
Oh, man. Um, I think <laughs> this is stupid because it's not even like really a baseball thing. But when he dyed his hair and then everyone else dyed their hair. <laughs> blonde that was just really funny and it like he was clearly like and I think it even though it's not a baseball thing I and it's silly I think that it exemplifies the type of like player and person he was on the Mets like he was a very good just like clubhouse presence and a very good just like guy to be around and he, he seemed to be well liked universally by every single player he played with um and he was a really good and extremely underrated Met I think um, so I think that the blonde hair and like everyone else copycatting him, I particularly remember Jerry Levins. Um, like, I think that's just like exemplifies his time with the Mets. Um, and also like all the times that his son has been on the field, like Minnie is Drupal Cabrera. That's always been like really cute. I just think that he's been just a good, like, and positive, like presence on the Mets and I'm going to miss him a lot. Yeah. I think Cabrera will go down as one of those Mets that everybody generally liked and was, um, you know, genuinely sad to see go, but it's also a move the Mets had to make. Absolutely. You know, you could argue that there are other moves they had to make this trade deadline that they did not make, and that is frustrating on a whole other level. But, you know, for Cabrera, you figure he came over here after the 2015 season. Yeah. That's that's right. That sounded wrong when I said it, but that's correct, yeah. That's correct. And, uh, you know, was with them for one of their postseason births and was the offensive highlight for a couple of really poor seasons for the Mets. And he played through injury and he got the team to dye their hair. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of memorable, good Cabrera stuff to keep, you know, to keep with us now that he's gone. In his, in the trade, the, um, the Mets got back uh Franklin uh I'm gonna mispronounce his last name Franklin Colome I believe it's how it's pronounced and um I can't correct you <laughs> yeah I believe it's Franklin Colome but I apologize in advance if I'm wrong uh who is a 23 year old starting pitcher he was play- currently pitching for a double a reading for the Phillies organization um our own Steve Saipa described him as a guy who if he can get his control on if he if he can work on his control, uh, he shows a plus curveball, uh, a below average changeup, and a you know an average fastball. So if he can improve one of those two pitches, you know preferably the, the changeup, and he can uh, he can work on his control a little bit, he should be a mid rotation starter for the Mets, uh, or at least a valuable relief pitcher. For a couple of months of his Drupal Cabrera, that seems like an utterly uh, good trade for the Mets. Something we haven't really said lately about a Mets trade. That they that they seem to do pretty well with it. Um, yeah, I think that um, I think that compared to the Familia trade, this one was the better one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's also, I mean, I was saying this to Chris last time. It's always tough tough to judge these trades in the short term for for a million reasons, but also because you know I think now we can judge the trade a little bit more because we've seen more relief pitchers get traded over the course of the last week or so. But yeah. relief pitching is such a tough thing to um, just to quantify and to replicate year to year. And, you know, Familia has a stigma as a guy who is not the most reliable pitcher, even though I, I don't think that stigma is necessarily earned. 
You know, yeah, I think it's unfair. There, there's a lot going on with each with each player, so I, I don't think the Mets got totally fleeced in that trade. But you know, this is certainly the better trade. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that the I think that the main criticism of the Familia trade is like not so much like this is a weak return, although people have said that. Um, and I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert on prospects or like a prospect evaluation. So I'm not going to pretend to be the authority on that. But I think the main criticism, uh, where I come down to is that like, they didn't wait. They just seemed to jump on the first offer that they got, um, where like a couple of days later, like Zach Britton, for example, who's an extremely comparable, I think, player to Familia. He has like similar career numbers with Familia maybe get, getting the slight edge on his overall career. But lately, Familia has been the better pitcher because Britton's been hurt a lot. And Britton got, from what I understand, a much better return. Um, so that's frustrating that they didn't wait a and B. And I think this has been a criticism of the Mets for a long time. Obviously they didn't eat any money in the trade, which they didn't do that for Cabrera either. So it's kind of like another instance of, and and I think that people would be less mad if the, if they didn't say in a press conference, like the week before we're willing to eat money and then they ate $0 of money. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's all very true. I think that the Mets, I mean, look, I've said this before to Chris, and I I don't think this is a unique thought to to me, but there is there is very little the Mets can do right now that won't get laughed at in some way or another. For sure, you know they are just in this position as a franchise with you know whether it's the LOL Mets thing or it's just you know getting blown out twenty five to four or it's the bevy of injuries, or it's Mr. Met flipping off a fan last season, or in, insert whatever here. Mets are going to Mets, right? And uh, I just feel like, you know, even if the Mets somehow got a young Mike Trout for Familia, there'd be, there'd be fans that would criticize it somehow. That's not saying it shouldn't be criticized. It's just that I, I, I don't think that there's necessarily a fair evaluation of the Mets' moves out there at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think that the Mets have to like, anytime they do something, they have to do more in order to break through the lull Mets. Like the default that anybody is going to react is that the Mets are wrong. And so in order for them to be assessed as correct, they have to do like really, really well in something as opposed to just pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. But, you know, the Mets did not make any other trades. There were rumors that, obviously, Zach Wheeler was going to be moved. But that's one, I think that's a more debatable point. Because if they're not going to get a good return for Wheeler, I completely understand holding on to him. Either to be traded in the offseason, or to be traded, or or to be a, a part of the team moving forward. I think the two more surprising lack of trades are... Um, you know, our good, good friends, Devin Mesoraco and Jose Bautista. Two guys that the Mets got midseason. Two guys that the Mets did not give up all that much for, depending on your thoughts on Matt Harvey, I suppose. Um, and two guys who are going to most certainly not be Mets next season unless the Mets decide to bring them back. But their contracts and their veteran status and their relative success this season all seem to point to them not being Mets next season. 
So the reason that if those two guys staying put just seems very unusual to me, especially Batista. Yeah, because he'll clear um, waiver. He'll just be claimed off waivers. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's a chance that either of them could be made could be traded in an August deal. I, I don't think, think Mizoraco is more likely for that. More likely, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily given that Bautista would get claimed, but I think there's a strong chance he would. But then again, if he does, you could just trade him to the team that claims him. Right. So I think that there's a chance that both of them will be dealt. Um, I mean, the Mets seem to say that from the Mets' point of view, like, Bautista put up, you know, decent numbers for them and they didn't want to just give him away for nothing, which you can quibble on that point because you should be happy with your bag of balls because he's not going to be a Met next year. Right. Mesoraco is more debatable. I think that there's a, I think that there's a case to extend him. Yeah. We have talked um, about this before. I think that's a yeah. pretty wise move, but one, I don't see the Mets necessarily making. I agree. Um, so if they're not, and I kind of feel this way about Wheeler too. I, like I waffle back and forth about Wheeler a lot, but like, I feel kind of similarly, like if you're not going to extend him, then you should have just traded him. I guess with Wheeler, there is the argument that there's more time because he still has another, at least one season under contract. Yeah. So there is more time there, but, um, but I, I totally understand your point. Um, now, one of the other things the Mets have dealt with this season, in addition to just being the Mets, have been their, uh, their injuries, and we have a couple of injury bits and pieces to get to here. First and foremost, Stephen Matz looked god-awful last night in, in the Mets game against the Nationals, and then it turns out today he was having an MRI for forearm discomfort, which almost never is a good thing. No, that's bad. Um... Is there uh, is there any chance in your in your humble opinion that Mats A makes five more starts for the Mets this season, or B ever makes thirty starts for the Mets? Oh, um, it's hard because like I was actually so optimistic about him this year. Like it looked like it was finally like he and Wheeler both right like as a pair where. Finally, it looked like, oh, they're healthy. And that was, like, one of the only good things about this season. And now, all of a sudden, Matt's has forearm tightness again. Um, I just... I don't think he's going to make five more starts this season. That'll say no. Because I just... The the dead arm... Like, I know that some people are saying, like, dead arm is normal. A lot of pitchers deal with it over the course of a season. But it's almost in my like in my experience, and I guess this is a Mets fan experience, but it's almost never normal, right? Like when Thor had dead arm, he had a child illness. <laughs> yeah. Like it's and it's just the only Mets player, the only Mets pitcher I can think of that had quote dead arm and like wasn't like it wasn't like a huge problem was Familia's had it a couple of times, and like he just seemed to like bounce back from it. It also like, seems like a very spring training thing for, for players yeah. to have. Not, yeah. Not late July, early August. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, I don't know, and it's frustrating to me that he like has been dealing with this for a few starts now and the Mets didn't just like rest him for, like skip his start once. Like, how hard is this to do? 
in a lost season, why didn't you just the second he was like, hey, you know, I'm getting a little dead arm after my starts. Why weren't they just like, hey, why don't we just skip you once and see if that helps? But they didn't do that. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. No, I'm not surprised, but I'm still frustrated. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think he makes five starts this season. As to whether he will ever make 30 starts, I'll be optimistic about that and say yes. Someday. <laughs> I think that, and I would have never said this at the start of the season, I think there's a better chance that Wheeler makes 30 starts twice than there is of Matt's making 30 starts once. I, I, I can't disagree. I think that that's true. <laughs> and again... We're not talking about Mr. Durability with Zach Wheeler. It's just yeah. just the reality of, of where they are at this point in their careers. Um, but speaking of, of injuries, tomorrow, Ioannis Cespedes undergoes the first of two operations on his injured heel. Um, this is not unexpected. This is something that should have been dealt with a long time ago. The second this season started to be lost, if they realized surgery was a potential option... They should have had him get surgery right away. Yeah, delaying on that it was so stupid. And just and forcing him back for the Yankee series two times. <laughs> two times. That is true. Like, literally, like, they, they rehabbed him, they rehabbed him. He played one game, and he was like, I'm in pain. And then they were like, oh, okay, also he's faking it. And it's just like the whole thing was just the most, like, it was one of I, I I maybe this is me being dramatic I don't know but it was like the whole way that they've just dealt with this Cespedes thing has been one of my low points as a fan and how frustrated I've been seeing the parallels between that and Carlos Beltran and the way that they've just continuously thrown their star player under the bus and made him to seem lazy and perpetuated this certain view of him in the media. It's just been gross to me and really frustrating. Yeah, You wrote a great piece about this. So folks go to Amazing Avenue and check that out if they haven't yet. Um, but I, I think it got on ESPN radio. Nice. <laughs> that piece. Yeah. Some it... Alan Hahn mentioned it on the Alan Hahn show. Somebody in like the comments pointed it out and was like, Allison, you know, somebody, on ESPN Radio, talked about your your piece, right? And I was like, "What?" And I went and I like squealed and like told <laughs> my mom. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, but yeah, it is it is certainly frustrating, if not unexpected, again because of the Mets' history with with their players like Beltran. I mean, even look, the Mets have been more or less good to David Wright throughout his tenure as a Met. But any other team would roll out the red carpet for Wright in a way the Mets never ever have. There's just yeah. something about the Mets with their players that doesn't click. And God help you if you're a Hispanic player. If yeah. you're if you're Latino, it makes it even worse. It's even worse, yeah. Um, which again, I just don't understand. Yeah, like David Wright. I mean, like they've been. Yeah, I agree. Generally good to him, but even him, like he, like he's not getting the Derek Jeter treatment, but he deserves it. And they, there was even that like not a superstar comment yep. that. Fred Wilpon made back in the day, which is just like absurd. So even David Wright, like who you can't possibly find find things to quibble about, is getting like not the treatment he deserves from the Mets. It's just really frustrating. And if they don't retire David Wright's number within like five minutes of him being re- of him announcing his retirement, I'm gonna riot. They won't. <laughs> they won't. Their whole thing is they only retire your number if you're in the Hall of Fame as a Met. Oh my God. I mean, think about it. Think about the players that this number should be retired. And not even, like, 
questionable ones. Gary Carter is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He arguably should have gone in as a Met, but went in as an Expo. They didn't retire his number. Mike yep. Piazza retired as the most uh, successful home run hitting catcher of all time, possibly the best offensive catcher of all time, and a surefire Hall of Famer. Until he was in the Hall of Fame, even though this is the guy that they put out there with Tom Seaver to close Shea Stadium and to re- and to open City Field, even with all that, they would not retire his number until he was actually in the Hall of Fame as a Met. So David well, Wright's I mean, number is never going to be retired as long as the Wilpons on the team. Ugh. I mean, I agree because he's never making the Hall of Fame. But I, it's just the most. It's it's. I would argue that David Wright is even more obvious of a case than those other guys. More obvious. More obvious than. More obvious than Piazza. More obvious than Carter because David Wright played his entire career with the Mets. Yeah, I, that has to come for something, right? It it does. I mean, I I'm also I'm in favor of them retiring a few more numbers. Like I, I, I think they should retire Keith's number. Yes, too. I agree. You know, I think between what Keith did for the team on the field and the fact that he's been broadcasting games with them since yep. ninety nine two thousand something like that. You know, he started doing a couple games a season really early on. I, I want to say it was maybe two thousand two thousand one somewhere in that ballpark. You know, that's, yeah. when all said and done, he'll probably have 20 years as a Mets announcer. That's, you know, that's worth something. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I would have, I would think that, that Carter's number should be retired. I'll, I'll even go a step further and I'll say that there are lots of players who are not in the Hall of Fame whose player, whose numbers should be, not, no, not in the Hall of Fame, who don't even come up in contention for the Hall of Fame. You know, I think that Jerry Kuzman's number should be retired. Yeah, I, that's a good point. I think that potentially Doc Gooden's number or Daryl Strawberry's number should be retired. You know, those players represented the the Mets at a time when people really cared about the Mets. You know they'll never do Doc Gooden because of how things went down with him. Right, exactly. Even though that's wrong, but they'll, they'll never do it because of that. Same with Strawberry. Yeah, same with Strawberry. It's very frustrating, um, but... And I would, I mean, and it is arguable that, like, what, what hat Carlos Beltran wears is up for debate. And it is arguable that it could be a Mets hat, even though he probably doesn't want that because the Mets shat on him all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's arguable that it should be a Mets hat. And in that case, he should have his number retired, too. Oh, yeah. And that's going to be the real, the real, like, center of hypocrisy if they do not retire his number and he goes in the Hall of Fame as a Met. Yep, yep, because it's going to be, like, the only one. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting to pay attention to. And, I mean, I don't know. I, I think he should have his number retired. He was my favorite Met during those years. He and David Wright both, they were my two favorite Mets. Like, I had, I, I had a Carlos Beltran jersey that I wore like legit every day to the point where I don't have it anymore because it like disintegrated because <laughs> I wore it so much. Like my soccer coach used to call me Beltran and that's why my soccer number is 15 still to this day. Wow. Yeah. Because of Carlos Beltran. So see, see I Beltran signed before the Oh five season, right? Yeah. So I was 23 when Beltran signed and I was just starting to, Sort of dip my toe into Mets internet, and I ah uh, yes, and you know it was it was the second season of SNY, 
and it was just, or maybe that might have been the first season actually of SNY. Anyway, who cares? Like, you know, it just, it was the beginning of sort of my, my deeper appreciation for the Mets besides just, you know, watching Mets games and caring deeply about the Mets. And I instantly was sort of made aware of, of how much people disliked Beltron. And it just didn't make any sense to me, but it became... Because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right, but it became almost second nature. Like, it became people who were Mets fans who were intelligent. When I would say, like, oh, yeah, I think Beltron's great, they'd be like, wait, really? It just became so widespread. And part of that is because the Mets were, were just trashing him all the time themselves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that goes a long way with people. It really does. Oh yeah, the narratives are powerful. They're powerful. I mean, the people wouldn't like the, they wouldn't keep doing them if they didn't work, you know? Yeah. And I guess like I mean, like I obviously remember like how they trashed Beltran, but I guess it didn't like affect me as much at the time because 05 season I was 15. So, like Carlos Beltran is a big player in my Mets fandom because like you know, during your teenage years, it's, like, very, like, your fandom is in its formative stage just like your life is, right? right? Yeah. And so, like, I felt like Beltran, like, was a huge, like, part of my formative fandom years. A huge part. And David Wright. And Jose Reyes as well, but I've kind of let that go now. <laughs> um, but um, David Wright and Carlos Beltran are, like, the two, like, and Mike Piazza. I would say, like, those are the big three that were, like, the formative years of my fandom that, like, shaped my Mets fandom because I, be- I kind of, like started becoming a Mets fan in earnest, like, right after, I feel like, the, the, like, good teams in, like, 99 and 2000. Right. Like, right after that era is when I started becoming, like, a really, really, like, strong Mets fan. So, unfortunately, like, right when my fandom was on the rise was, like, the Art Howe years, the, like, terrible, like, times. So, I experienced terrible times. And then, like, the, the, like, 06 Mets were, like, the first really good team that I remember, like, like that I remember strongly. I remember the 99 and 2000 teams a little bit, but almost more through the lens of my father than through myself. Right, right. Like, I remember, like, how excited he was about it more so than how excited I was. And, those and so teams, the 06 Mets were, like, my team. Yeah, and those teams weren't good the way the 06 team was good. Yeah, no, they weren't as good. Like, that 06 team, it was, like... By middle of May, people were like, oh, shit, this seems for real. You know? Yeah. And uh, I remember it was a big deal that they didn't clinch as early as people thought they were going to clinch. When when people are mad at how long it's taking you to clinch, you know your team is, is quite good. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've established that I'm I'm much older than you are. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, when I, was, when I was in my sort of early high school stage, the Mets were terrible. I was a junior in high school in 1999, and so that was the first team that, as a somewhat adult, and I'm using adult very loosely here, but as somebody who who was reading the box scores and watching Sports Center for highlights, if I even missed the game, and sometimes taping the games on VHS tapes, like those, that all started for me in '99, and so right. my formative Mets are Piazza, um, Al Leiter. Uh, mm-hmm. You know uh, Alfonso for sure. I love Fonzie. Everyone loves Fonzie. Um, you know, even guys like Robin Ventura, John Olerud, guys who aren't necessarily quote classic Mets in the same way that they are for other franchises. Those guys, you know, meant a lot to me as a Met and uh, as Met as a Met fan rather. And uh, yeah, so they're gonna fuck up 
the, the right retirement whenever it happens. Oh my god, I, and I'm gonna I that might break me. I don't even know. Like I've reached like so much like I've said I've reached my wits end so many times that it's almost becoming old. Like, do I really mean it? But the Jose Reyes thing was like the first time, like when they re-signed Reyes this year, I mean, was the first time when I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And if they fuck up the right thing to the extent that I'm scared that they will, like, that's going to be another moment where I have to reevaluate. Like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. (laughs) because like it's just it's so painful when you care so much (laughs) oh i feel you it's so painful and like i don't know i mean i guess that like it doesn't it's not on the same level as the reyes thing in the way it like entirely contradicts my moral values but still as far as like strictly like mets fandom things and baseball things that's about like fucking up the right retirement is about the worst thing they could do because it's like that is the best player like arguably ever besides maybe tom siever that has ever put on your uniform yeah ever certainly the best homegrown um offensive player that over a long period of time there are guys who had better two or three year clusters yeah sure sure over a career um over a career yeah one of the things that i i think about all the time is just how much the mets have, I mean, look, they they have, they at least recognize Wright as the captain at a decent time and all of that. But when you yeah. think about it, like, Wright is a really good-looking guy. He's a guy who was media-trained within an inch of his life. Yep. They could have done so much with him. The, yeah. The fact that Wright never, like, the fact that any time between 2005 and 20, you know, 16, the fact that Wright never, like, hosted Saturday Night Live, even though Jeter did that, or never, you know, or all the times the Wright was hurt, they never had Wright sit in the booth for a game. Like, there's just so many things they could have done with Wright to get people around the country to recognize how great he is, and, but they would, they could use non-baseball things to get people to recognize that. You know, yeah. it was just, but, but it was never done. I, I will, in some ways, I think that that is, that will be the true legacy of the Wilpons, that we will look back on that era and say the Mets had two or three of the best players they ever had over the course of their franchise, and the Mets did almost nothing to capitalize on those players' presence on the team. Oh, yeah, sure. And I think that, like, in a weird way, the the what you just said about David Wright and how they never really, like, marketed him properly, remind it, it's, a, it's a really, like stark like mirror to what is happening with Mike Trout now I think and like the way that Bud, the, the way that Manfred was like oh like he like basically like threw him under the bus and was like he chooses how to spend his time and like he could self-promote more and you're just like what are you talking about that's your job yeah. and like they did the same thing with with David Wright to a certain extent with the like not a superstar quote and all that stuff it's like like what are you what are you talking about? You have a superstar on your team. Do you understand the like what you could do to grow your fan base and to make all these people like devoted to this team and this player if you like tried a little bit harder? What's weird is the only player to my eyes that the Wilpons in recent memory have promoted properly is Matt Harvey. Yeah. 
to be honest with the Dark Knight stuff and yeah. like, yep. And he was on Jimmy yep. Fallon that time. Remember, he was like, interviewing people on the street about Matt Harvey. Like, they put him in a lot of they put him in a position to make himself be known to the world. Yeah, and a lot of the like, and a lot of, and I've ranted about this. Uh, on this podcast before so i'm not going to go back down that road again and recapitulate that but a lot of the like tearing down of matt harvey at the end of his mets tenure was not actually because of the mets it was because of the media right like i put that blame more on the media's shoulders than i do on the mets unlike the cesspitous thing that i put more on the mets shoulders than the media is the media is just following what the mets are doing and, and spinning that narrative that the mets have like planted the seed so to speak yeah Totally agree. Uh, and again, Matt Harvey's white. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is a, a big, big, big difference. Um, but let's let's kind of shift gears a little bit here to our, our, our final topic of the night, which is, you know, the Mets made a, a couple of statements over the past few weeks, specifically out of the mouth of assistant GM slash part of this GM triumvirate, John Rico, saying that the Mets plan to compete next year. They've somewhat walked that back today, saying uh, <laughs> there really isn't a game plan yet for next year, which I, I will say, without a GM on the books for next year, I understand why you want to walk that back maybe a little bit. Yeah, sure. But if the Mets are going to compete this year, and let me lay out the, the picture for you, okay? because I was, I've been thinking a lot about this. If the Mets are going to compete next year, they have to identify a couple of players or a couple of positions where they're going to improve the team through trade, free agent signing, or um, you know calling somebody up from the minors from their own system. So let's just talk about the roster for the 2019 Mets. So much mm-hmm. like this season, there will be five outfielders under control to start the season. And that's not counting any one of the minor leagues right now. We're going to have Cespedes, Conforto, Nimmo, Juan Lagares and Jay Bruce, right? All of whom are under contract for this uh, for next year. Um, in the infield, you have Todd Frazier for another year. You have Ahmed Rosario, who likely is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You have, um, and then you have a combination of players who could play second base, who could play first base. Uh, that that combination includes Wilmer Flores, Dominic Smith, Jeff McNeil. Hopefully, by this time next year, T.J. Rivera is back. In Peter that. Alonso. Peter Alonso is in that conversation. So, you have those folks, okay? At catcher, you have um, Plowecki. And I think Darno is back next year, too, right? Or is was this... Was... Yeah, in theory, he's supposed to be back by, yeah, I, I, I think, the start of the year, yes. I believe he's under contract for next year. I believe next year... Oh, yeah. he's he's it's it, I think it's his final year of arbitration. I believe you're correct. So, you know, theoretically, you have Pulecki and Darno again, competing for the catching job. On the starting pitching side, you have um, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Matz, and Vargas, all under team control for next year. Thank you for the Vargas signing Sandy Alderson. Yay! And then in the bullpen, you know, you don't ha- you have a lot of these sort of younger players. You have another, you have a, an option on Jerry Blevins, I believe. And you have Anthony Swarzak. Yeah. And that's pretty much the extent of it. So I understand if you're looking at this team, there are lots of things that you would like to do. But let's be realistic here. Is there any way the Mets sign an outfielder? 
I don't think there is now. I don't think they can. I don't think they're going to eat the $26 million they will have left on Bruce's deal or so. Um, and that's not kind of the $9 million they're paying Ligaris for next season. So, you know, that is, that's a real issue. So the outfield, if, if Cespedes is healthy, let's say as of July, if the outfield is, is Conforto, Nimmo, and Cespedes, with Ligaris being a, you know, a, a, a sub here and there, a defensive replacement at the end of the game, etc., you're already having Jay Bruce on the outside. And that's, yeah. and that's probably not great. Uh, maybe you have him playing some first base. I don't know. We'll see. In a platoon with Flores or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Long side of a platoon with Flores. Yeah. I would even think you could maybe, if until Cespedes comes back, you could have him in a long side platoon with Ligaris. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, obviously not in center field. But, <laughs> no, no, no. But like but, shift Nimmo or Conforto there. Exactly. And... Yeah. In terms of an outfield situation. But but that's that's pretty much the best the Mets can hope for from their outfield. From the starting pitching, I guess you could dump Vargas's contract, just release him and eat the eight million. But this is the Mets. Good. They're not going to do that. I so, doubt it. But so I mean, if. He... <sighs> I think it might force their hand if he continues to suck it up as bad as he's been for the rest of this season, if he continues to be as bad as he's been. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to argue that you shouldn't right. do that. Like, you can't you can't keep a guy who has an AERA. You just can't do it. I don't care that he makes $8 million. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So maybe the Mets can sign a starting pitcher. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they can sign two. That'd be cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic here. But signing two starting pitches, pitchers is not outside the realm of possibility, especially if Mats is hurt now. Yeah, yeah. It really depends on how bad this Mats thing is. Yeah. Uh, there's lots you can do in the bullpen, but you know as well as I do, the bullpen is very hard to replicate year after year. Um, yeah. You know, any moves you make could blow up in your face. But they're certainly going to have to... They're going to have to do something with the uh, with the bullpen, and that's that's probably the easiest and most realistic spot the Mets are going to improve. Um, yeah, spend money. Yeah, but let's look at the infield now. I think everybody pretty much agrees the Mets need to add another bat somehow. I don't yep. think there's a catcher out there that necessarily makes a ton of sense for them to go out. I mean, there there are there are yeah, Monty Grandal is probably the best free Asian catcher available yeah and Wilson Ramos and Wilson Ramos but I would I would pick of those two who are the two those two are clearly on a tier all their own like as the elite and I would pick Grandal over Ramos just because Grandal has been more consistent I agree with that um but I don't think either of those guys is enough offense to help the Mets necessarily like to, yeah to help them get enough where they of an upgrade right. yeah so I hope they sign one of those guys I think lots of teams need catchers, and yep. so they're they're a hot commodity. Yeah, so that's not necessarily a done deal either. But you know, sure, let's say they sign this many Grandel, and that helps the team a little bit. Where else can the team upgrade offensively? I don't think that they are necessarily going to try and shift at the ship uh, Frazier this off season. Maybe if they were serious about Manny Machado, they would. But is there I, any universe where the Mets go after Machado? I mean, I, I've said this before, and I will say it again. I would give my left 
kidney for Manny Machado to be on the Mets, and they should do it. And I mean, Chris just wrote an article about it, and yeah. he's absolutely right. If they are serious about contending next year, it is the obvious move because he provides an instant upgrade on the offense, and he like the Mets do have a need in the infield. I know that Frazier is technically occupying third base, but and this may be a controversial thing to say. I don't, I don't know, but like. I love Machado so much, like, give him whatever he wants. If he wants to play shortstop, then Ahmed Rosario plays second base. I'm sorry. If he wants to play shortstop, he plays shortstop. If that's what it takes for him to sign with the Mets, I will do anything. (laughs) And it makes the team better. I mean, I know that it's a slight downgrade defensively to have Machado at shortstop and have Ahmed Rosario at second base, but since when has this team cared about defense anyway? That is true. You know, I just, again... Because of my age, all this reminds me of is Kaz Matsui at shortstop and moving right. Oh my in, god, I know. Right second base, so I, but I, Machado's not Kaz Matsui, oh, friend. Oh, I know. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Trust you, me. I, uh, I I probably went to as many Kaz Matsui games as a human could take before going insane. <laughs> so, goodness, um, Kaz Matsui. Yeah, oh boy. Um, but you know. So, but there's also he can play a third, and Todd Frazier could play first base then. Yes, absolutely. Or you know, uh, if you, if you don't want to give up on Dom Smith just yet, Frazier and Smith can somewhat split time at first base. Yeah. Uh, I, although I think the Mets have pretty much given up on Dom Smith at this point. Yeah, sadly, I think they have. Um, you know, and if Frazier gets off to a hot start next year, that's a guy that's a prime trade candidate. Oh yeah, sure, for sure. You know, so, you know, the Mets will have options in that way, but they're not going to take that option. Um, No. I I mean, to me, if you you sign Manny Machado and you sign Clayton Kershaw, which is crazy. I know that this is a crazy (laughs) scenario and it's not happening, but I'm just saying, like, I am saying that there is a path to contention if they spend money. If you sign Manny Machado, you sign... Clayton Kershaw, and then you build a bullpen out of a combination of the guys you already have, i.e. Seth Lugo, Robert Gazelman, maybe one or two of the bachelors of the world, um, plus like one or two free agents or guys you trade for or whatever, or guys you're graduating from minors, you can make this a contending team. And this is, again, provided that Max is healthy, which we is a big question mark. Right now. I don't even think you need to sign Kershaw. I, I think you just need to sign whoever the twenty not Vargas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoever the twenty nineteen version of signing Arietta over Vargas is. Yeah, but I, see, the thing is, is like, like I think that this past off season made me so wary of like, because I was all in on like. I wanted them to sign somebody better than Vargas. And I was all in on, like, spend more money on the pitching. But a lot of those guys flamed out. Like, Lance Lynn's been crap. Alex Cobb has been awful. Like, all those types of guys, like, the mid-tier, quote-unquote, have been kind of bad. And it's kind of like... Vargas bad. None of them are Vargas bad. That that much is true. Actually, the guy I wanted was Chassin, and he's been great, and I'm kind of frustrated. But (laughs) And he made the same money as Vargas. But anyway, like... like, even a guy like that would have been fine. Chassin, someone like that. Yeah. Like, a mid-tier starter. Yeah. But I think that Kershaw is just, obviously, I'm in my fantasy world, but Kershaw is, like, you know, a guarantee 
more of a guarantee. Yeah. You're buying the guarantee. Right. Was, was that a Tommy Boy reference? Oh, I no. Oh, I <laughs> if it was, it was, it was by accident. I was hoping it was. Okay. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. My love of, of mid-90s Chris Farley is... Uh, is <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I think that you know that there is a path to contention. The problem is, I think the Mets. I, I'm telling you, like, these are the quotes we're going to hear at the winter meetings. Like, well, we believe in Dom Smith and Peter Alonso, so we're not going Alonso. He gets very upset apparently if you say Zo Alonso. Okay. Alonso. Uh, because he was announced as uh, Alonso Peter at the Futures game. Oh my God! I know. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah, he yeah. said like Alonso is bad enough, but you know. Anyway, so, you know, I I don't think they're going to upgrade a first base. I don't think, I think that Jeff McNeil is somehow not going to start the year in the Major League roster again. Probably not. I I think that they're going to, um, they're going to sign a starting pitcher, maybe, and it's going to be your Lance Lins of the world. Yeah. Instead of going one step higher. And and this is the And that only happens if they release Vargas. I think. Yeah, probably. Um, or I don't if, think they keep Vargas and sign a pitcher. Unless Mats is hurt. Yeah, unless Mats is hurt, then they have to sign. Someone. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of... There are a lot of players who would make the Mets better, but no one would make the Mets better than Manny Machado would. No. Yep. That's... Yep. And I That's, just don't see them doing the full court press on him. They're not. It's just there's just a zero percent chance. The problem is, is like they're just gonna get outbid by other teams. That's the real problem. Is like obviously the Mets. Like if the Mets like were the only team in on him, then sure. But like the Yankees and like the Dodgers and these the Red Sox and these type of teams that have money are gonna be in on him. So the Mets are never gonna make the best offer for him. Period. And see, this is another case of the Mets having a better offseason last year would have impacted a lot. Because if the Mets had signed, let's say, Jake Arrieta last year, then you're, and didn't sign Jay Bruce, then, yes. then you can say to Manny Machado, listen, we have four legitimate, we have at least three legitimate number ones on other teams, between Arietta, DeGrom, and Syndergaard. We have a young outfield. We have one of the hottest, you know, uh, players in baseball in Cespedes, and he'll be healthy next year because in this dream scenario, they also had him have his surgery in May. You know, so he'll be back for next year. And, you know, they can say we have – we're going to add another piece in the infield. We're going to sign a catcher, whatever it is. If you just put the pieces in place a little bit differently and you don't have the limited budget tied up in the Jay Bruce's of the world and the Jason Vargas's of the world – this looks a lot different. Yeah, I agree. But And can you imagine if they had just freaking signed Lorenzo Cain instead of Jabers? Like, how different this would be? There would still be an overcrowded outfield, but yes. Yeah, I mean, the the outfield situation would be kind of the same as it is now, except we have a good player instead of a not good player. <laughs> yeah. And, like, when Ligaris went down forever, it wouldn't have felt really bad at all because Lorenzo Cain would have been playing center field every day. Yeah. But hey, thank God for Austin Jackson. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, Is there any other path to real contention next year aside from them just saying, look, 
we are confident in the players we put together for this season, but injuries derailed us. I mean, they said that in 2017, and look where we are now. So it's just like you can't just keep saying, like, this roster is good. It's just been the injuries when, like, it happens over and over. Maybe the roster isn't that great. Right. In the end. Like, they they need multiple really good off-season signings to make this a competitive roster. There's no way around that. And they need to build a bullpen. And they need to get... And they not only need to build a bullpen, they need to get lucky on a couple of guys in that bullpen, too. They are, you know, one of the things... I, I remember talking to Rob Wolf about this a few weeks ago, how when the season started, my, like, constant refrain was, look how deep the Mets' bench is. And now the Mets have no bench whatsoever to speak of. No. And a big part of that is because guys like... Reyes, unfortunately, and Flores have been forced to play every day. Yeah. And I yep. don't I don't see... You know, Flores will be a Met next year, hopefully. Aside from Flores and, you know, insert Plawecki or Darno here, I don't think there's anyone who's on the Mets roster right now who I want in that bench next year. Yeah. I... If it were up to me, I would. I'm not sure I would even tender Darno's contract. I would go find someone else. I just—he's going to get a raise in arbitration. Is he really worth five million dollars coming back from Tommy John surgery and is in, and he's never had a fully healthy season? Really, I don't know. It's an open question to me whether he deserves to be tendered. If he was anything but a catcher, I'd agree with you. But because yeah. of how light catching is right now. And his bat has looked real at different times. You know, the talent of 2015, his bat looked legitimately great. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that that was, like, not great. But, I mean, it was great. But the, like, sample size of him being not good is bigger than the sample size of him being good at this point. And I'm just, yeah. But, I mean, it's a debatable point for sure. But I think that they should spend a little bit of catcher, even if that doesn't involve Grandal or Ramos, if it involves, like, extending Mesoraco instead, then that would also be an option. Or somebody else in that sort of tier. Yeah. But But Mesoraco is really the only one besides Ramos and Grandal that is, like, 30 years old and not, like, 34. Right. That's a free agent. So that's the other problem. The problem is that the Mesoraco type deal is exactly what the Mets always do. Yeah, it's true. Signing Mesoraco is like the equivalent of when they re-signed Louis Castillo. Where like it was a fine move for the first year, but once you got past that it became problematic. And that just ha Mesoraco has that written all over him right now. Yeah, I, that's fair. I think he's a better player than Castillo was at this point was at the point in his career. But it's just it just seems like such a Mets move. You know, I they have no one to trade. They have no money to sign players with. They don't even have a GM at the moment. So, no. so I have no idea what the, what the winter's going to look like for the Mets. Yeah, it's like so. Like I can't even. I can't even like. Where are we going to be six months from now? I have no idea. No idea. It's impossible to predict at this point. And it's just. I think it's just so like. <laughs> 
I know that it doesn't really mean that much, and it was just kind of a coincidence, but the fact that the Mets were like, we're going to like rely on the strength of our pitching, and we can contend next year, and literally like two days later they get beat 25-4, to four, and then the next day one of those pitchers gets hurt. Yep. It's just like it's the the narratives write themselves. Like the Mets, just like they step in their own shit all the time, like this. <laughs> like, yep. Like literally, Jose Reyes pitched. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun to watch. I'm not gonna lie. Like I've been very anti Reyes, but watching him pitch was fun. I'll admit it. Watching I enjoyed him get, myself. Watching him get shelled was even better. Yeah, it was. It was kind of like I got a little bit of satisfaction out of it. I'm not gonna lie. But, like, position players pitching is, like, always fun to me. It's, like, one of my favorite things. It's inherently good. I don't care what anyone says. No, it's inherently good. Like, just, like, it's so weird to me as a, like, very strong NL baseball person how people can get so excited about position players pitching and people get so pumped about that, but then people are like, pitchers hitting sucks. I love the DH. You're just like, what? That's That that logic doesn't follow. Right. Like, if you get pumped about mediocrity on the mound of dudes like pitching who shouldn't pitch and you get so pumped about that why are you like so like pitchers hitting is boring it's literally the reverse of that i don't get it i think both are fun (laughs) I, i agree I think both is extremely fun. I love position players pitching. And, like, I mean, obviously, like, this 25-4, to 4, like, hot mess would piss me off a lot more. Like, the whole season wasn't, like, like this. Right. <laughs> like, if it wasn't a microcosm of literally the entire season. But, like, I just, I got to the point where I was just like, this is fun. <laughs> yep. Now, we should touch on this very quickly and then get out of here. But you were telling me that there are people out there who were insulted at Ryan Zimmerman's fake charge in the mound when hit by a pitch by from Jose Reyes last night. Yeah, like it hit by like a 70 mile an hour. It was like, it was an off speed pitch. So it was like 70 miles an hour. Yeah, people were mad. Like people were like, oh, he showed up the Mets. And I'm just like, the Mets showed up themselves, bruh. Like they played like, themselves. They played themselves. And Zimmerman and Reyes probably, probably know each other pretty well. Like they've been in the same division for a long time now. And, like, these are players that know each other, and he's just having fun. Like, it's more of this, like, old man yelling at cloud stuff, like, no fun allowed in baseball. If you're not allowed to have fun when you're up by, like, 20 runs, when are you allowed to have fun? Yeah. And he clearly wasn't going to actually charge the mound. No, and he wasn't being – and he wasn't laughing at him. He was laughing with him. Yes, absolutely. Leaning and laughing and being like, ha-ha, you're a position player pitching, your team sucks. Like, he was like – he was just trying to have a good time. He was just, like, messing around. He was trying to, like, lighten the mood and bring up the mood. Like, there were guys in the dugout laughing. Like, if you're going to get mad about, like, Zimmerman fake-charging the mound and trying to, like, have a good time, you have to get mad at Jacob deGrom for giggling in the dugout then at Jose Reyes. Is he showing up his own team by laughing? No. It's it's funny. <laughs> Sometimes the Mets are just funny. <laughs> Uh, like more often than not you have to be able to laugh at yourself to be a Mets fan otherwise you're gonna have a bad time yeah that's an excellent way to put it yeah Yeah, that last night was special (laughs) I mean I again I would also be less mad if it wasn't the Nationals I just really hate them but whatever it happens I just really hope like the only thing I hope 
is that this isn't like the beginning of their turnaround and that like they go on. I know that it's unrealistic, but they go on to win the World Series this year and everyone points to like the 25 to four against the Mets is the day the Nats pulled themselves out of the gutter and went for it. And like because like the Nats, like it was almost like the opposite narrative, right? Like the Mets were like, oh, we're standing pat because we believe in ourselves. And they went on to lose 25 to four. Meanwhile, the Nats were like, we're standing pat because we believe in ourselves. And Trey Turner had that really emotional press conference. Um, that's an aside that we haven't, I don't know if we've talked about that on the pod yet. The whole like old base baseball players, old tweets stuff, but no, but I mean, that's uh that's a narrative that is not surprising at all to me that, no. that, <laughs> that like basically country boys, who were told they're great their whole lives would have tweeted some disturbing shit. Yeah, like, oh, like, I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised at all that, like, half of these, like, white country boys, like, like, tweeted, like, fag and stuff like that. But it's just, I mean, it's, it doesn't, I, it, I'm not surprised, but I'm not any less disappointed by it. You know what I Agreed. mean? And yes, yes. Like, and the fact that, like, the reaction from a fair number of people, like, a non-insignificant amount of people has been, like, has tried to, like, make the problem Twitter or the problem the people that find the tweets rather than the fact that the tweets happened. Right. Like, no, that's not, no, the pro and Trey Turner, as much as I dislike the nationals, I will admit handled it properly as opposed to hater who I think kind of made a, like, I'm sorry, I got caught up type of apology. Right, right. Like I was a kid and like you were 17, like you're old enough not to be an asshole at right. 17 if you want to not be an asshole. And, but, you know, Trey Turner said, like, I have no excuse. Like, it's bad that I even tweeted that in the first place. That, it's awful. Like, and he, he owned up to it a lot more than I thought the other guy did. So, I give him props for that. But yeah, the narrative wrote itself, like, they had that emotional press conference, like, they were like, we're standing pat because we believe in ourselves, and they win 25-4, to 4, and I'm just like, I really hope this doesn't end up being, like, the comeback of the Nats, because that will make yeah. it. Yeah, if dope. this is the Wilmer Flores hits a home run two days after crying game... That's gonna for them. Me. For them, yes. That's gonna that's gonna be the worst. Yeah, yeah I don't want to be reverse twenty fifteen by the Nats. I don't want that. If 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 it's not that, then I'm fine with this like twenty five to four laugh fest and being the butt of the jokes because it's like whatever. The Mets are kind of a joke right now, oh, but absolutely. like I'm fine with that. I'm fine with laughing along. But if it ends up being part of a bigger bigger scheme, then I'm gonna be like no. <laughs> So uh, before I let you go, because I don't know when the ne we're going to have you on the show the next time, because you know you're, you're not on every week in this capacity. You are our resident pneumometer right. and degrometer. Uh, I'm going to get you guys that for this pod. Yeah. So but you know, is there one thing you're hoping for for the rest of the season? Is there a player you want to see called up for September? What are mm. you rooting for at this point in the season? I am rooting hard for the continued resurgence of Michael Conforto. I think that that is a big, big thing. Like, the fact that his first half was very not Michael Conforto-like was concerning and 
one can argue whether, and I don't think we can know for sure, one can argue whether that was like that he was rushed back from his shoulder injury to a certain extent or wasn't really rushed back, but it was still affecting him a little bit. Um, Because I think those are two slightly different things. Um, Or it was just, you know, he was just not having a good first half, as happens to players sometimes. Um, But either way, in the second half so far, he's been really good. And that's been one of the only, like, happy things to watch so far about this second half. And that is, I think, above all, the one thing I want for the rest of this season, outside of a Jacob deGrom Cy Young Award. But I think that's becoming more and more of a pipe dream by the day as the Mets continue to lose games he pitches. But um, the continued resurgence of Michael Conforto is the thing I'm rooting hardest for um, the rest of this season. How about you? Uh, I don't know. There's a couple of things. I, I really hope that if there's going to be a... Um, if they're going to treat the... Uh, if they're going to treat September like a tryout for a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. I want to see Pete Alonso hit some like crazy home runs. Oh my god, like moonshot dingers. That'd yeah, be great. That, w- that would just make September a lot of fun. Yeah, um, agree. And that's that's sort of what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm looking for excuses for fun games. Um, I, I'm looking for both Nimmo and Conforto to finish the season strong so that people can stop giving this narrative that the Mets have to pick one or the other. Yeah, or that they're, like, not starting players, which is, like, dumb. Right. So I would like to see that. And I would like to see... I don't know. Like, on a personal level... I want to go to a few more games this year, and I want them to be at least, at least competitive. Watchable. No, just, just watchable. I'm fine. Watchable, with that. yeah, yeah, sure. I, I like, uh, ironically, all of my games that I'm, I'm going to a fair few more games, but all of them are not uh, are away. None of them are at City Field. Oh, okay. So I'm going to. Um, obviously when the Mets come to Camden Yards, I'm going to both of those. So that's a two game series in mid August. So that's in a couple weeks. So I'm really excited for that because I mean, I think it's just going to be like a spectacle of like who can be worse at baseball. And I'm like kind of here for it. I don't know in a sick way, like the Orioles and the Mets are like the, like the same team. And so I just want to see who can like out bad the other one. Um, and then, but then in September, I'm going to a couple games. I'm going to, Fenway um, to see oh, the nice. Mets in mid-September um, in Fenway. And then I am going to D.C. to see the Mets at the end of September. It's a reschedule. Both of those are seven-line Army games. So this the I have a really good friend, in a college friend in Boston who's a, Met, a huge Mets fan. So he and I are going to the seven-line Army Boston outing. And then the D.C. outing was originally in April, but it got snowed out. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. Yeah, it, it was like one of the first games of the season. It was like April 6th or something like that. It was really early in the season. Um, and it got snowed out. And so um, we are. I am going to D.C. in September since they rescheduled it for September. So those are my remaining Mets games on the docket. Like you said, hopefully they're at least watchable. And hopefully in September, the Nats are, like, no longer in it. And I don't have to worry about the Mets, like, playing a role in the Nats, like, making the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, Chris and I were talking last week about how there's a number of scenarios that could take place where the Mets would trade away players and be better in the second half. 
Like just just, yeah. just because of luck and things like that. So that's like that would be that's the ultimate pipe dream is that they have a good August and September because Jeff McNeil mashes and because, yeah. you know, whatever. But that's that's so far beyond the reality that I'm just I wanna see some good I wanna see some big home runs from McNeil and Alonso and I want I want DeGrom to, to continue to be awesome, and I want them to win, like, six starts in a row for DeGrom. That'd be so cool. That'd be the best ever. Can they please at least get – can they just get him to, like, ten wins? It, I mean, they won't because they're on pace to not, yeah. decidedly not, get him to ten wins. But I feel like if they can just get him to ten wins – he can be ten but, and six or ten and seven – then yeah, then I think that his chances of winning the Cy Young go up a significant amount if he can just get ten. Like for some reason, even though like wins mean nothing, I mean they mean things to like the people that vote for these things. They're not insignificant, but like for some reason, even though there's no real difference between like ten and eleven or nine and ten, like just the double digit wins, like it just seems to like have like you know like symbolic meaning. Oh, it certainly does. So, like, if they could just get him to 10, then maybe he has a shot. But it's going to be really difficult. I actually think that at this point, even though everyone likes to talk about Scherzer, and obviously he's having a great year, and, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he won the Cy Young, but I think Aaron Nola is the favorite right now. We have to watch out for him. I think he's going to win it. (laughs) He's been so good. I still think DeGrom's been better, but... DeGrom's been better, but... Noah has a lower ERA than Scherzer and like just as many wins as him. Yeah. Not quite as low of an ERA as DeGrom. DeGrom, the other thing DeGrom has to do is like he has to keep he has to keep a wide gap on that ERA lead. Like he has to I think he has to open up even more than it is now. Like it has to be like point four like it was earlier in the season. I think it's like point two something, the high point twos. Point two eight lead right now. Like he's the only. He's still the only one under two. Yes. But it has to be even more. Like it has to be dramatic. If he's only going to have like eight wins or whatever, it has to be dramatic for him to have a shot. Yeah, he has to get the ERA down to like unfathomable <laughs> levels. Like like one point five. Yeah. Yeah. Because the last start, unfortunately, raised his ERA. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Degrom, like maybe like getting a Cy Young or the Mets at least like like knocking off a few wins in a row for him would be great. Continued resurgence of Conforto, Conforto and Nimmo finishing strong, watchable games. <laughs> it's what we want. This, these are all the only things we want. We're not asking for much. No. No. And uh, you know it would be really sweet, but it's never going to happen. Hmm a uh, Jose Reyes release. Oh yeah, that'd be super cool. I can't believe I forgot about that. It's it, it uh uh I can't I can't believe I've reached the point of acceptance where I don't even mention this now. How it'd be nice if they released Jose Reyes. But it's it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to save as as I believe it was is it Ted Berg? Somebody I like on Twitter tweet, tweeted that uh all the money saved in the um Jerry's familiar trade is going to go right to the Reyes send-off. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. The tribute video. Yep. They're waiting for... I'm convinced my tinfoil hat is on. I am convinced that they are waiting for David Wright to come back so that they can play one last game together. 
That's the proper send-off they're talking about. So Reyes will be a Met forever then? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's forever. He's here forever. He's never leaving. <laughs> come on, David. You gotta come back just so Jose Reyes can leave. David, I know you're listening. I know you're <laughs> listening. Please. Yes. Please. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Steve Saiba, and I'm back to go over our minor league pitchers of the week for week 15, which is July 22nd to July 28th. So our pitcher of the week this week is Columbia Fireflies right-hander, Luke Rennie. He made two starts and allowed one run, which is not earned, over 13 innings, giving up 10 hits, walking three, and striking out 23. And of those 23 strikeouts, one included a 14-strikeout game, that set Columbia's single-game record. Now, for a little background about Rennie, he was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles in 16th round of the 2012 draft at a high school, and he's given a $100,000 bonus, which is not bad for a 16th rounder, but it is kind of a little light for overslot high school guys. He posted solid numbers in that first year, but then as he moved up the Orioles system, the results became progressively worse and worse. He spent time with the Aberdeen Ironbirds, the Delmarva Shorebirds, and the Frederick Keys over the next couple of years, but they released him in 2015. And according to Rennie himself, quote, When I left the Orioles organization, I was pretty broken. I was not what I am right now. I had to completely rebuild my foundation. It was really scary. It's taken the last three and a half, four years of my life to rebuild myself from the ground up, end quote. So after being released by the Orioles, Rennie signed with the Evansville Otters, which is a Frontier League team. And in his first year there, he was not particularly good. He posted a 7.33 ERA in 46.2 innings. But his second year was a lot more successful. He posted a 291 ERA in 77 innings, allowing 71 hits, walking 39, and striking out 66. And as a result of those numbers, the Otters decided to extend Rennie into the 2018 season this year. And he pitched 10 games for them. Um, He posted a 2.31 ERA, allowing 51 hits, walking 20, and striking out 70. So he signed with the Mets on the 4th of July, and he was assigned to the Columbia Fireflies to fill in the spot in the rotation that was vacated by Anthony Kay when they promoted him to St. Lucie. Now, Rennie, who is 24, um, he throws from a high three-quarters arm slot, and he has a kind of simple, repeatable delivery. And despite reports claiming otherwise, and I don't know what these reports are based on, I'm guessing older scouting reports, but, I mean, I sat in on Rennie when he was pitching against Lakewood a few weeks ago, so, you know, I was. this is data that comes from a few weeks ago. Uh, his fastball sits about 88 to 91 and features some cutting movement. And then he complements it with a mid-80s slider, a high 70s curveball, and a high 70s changeup that he periodically mixes in, but not very much. I think he only threw three or four in the entire game that I saw him pitch. Uh, he works um, up and down in the strike zone, and he could really spot the location. And working up and down really sets up uh, the curveball because it's messing with the eye level of hitters. So just 
Something to note, um, not about Rennie specifically, but over the last couple of years, the Mets have signed a lot of guys out of indie ball, and they've had guys with various levels of success. Various levels of success. Over just the last three or four years, there's Jonathan Abeladejo, Mitch Atkins, Andrew Barbosa, Blake Bevin, Corey Burns, Casey Delgado, Aaron Laffey, Donovan Hand, Tyler Herron, Mickey Jennis, Matt Pobregeko, Josh Smoker, the list goes on and on and on. The constant dipping to the Indies kind of highlights a weakness within the system. Um, the system as a whole hasn't, you know, it, it, it's been depleted because of trades and promotions over the last couple of years. But it just doesn't have the depth to replenish itself. Other teams, they can. Other teams make trades. Other teams promote guys. And they're able to fill in from within. And it's not a bad thing, necessarily, giving, you know, indie guys another chance. And occasionally, you do strike gold. I mean, Josh Smoker did make it to the major leagues. But most teams don't go to this well as often as the Mets do. They're in the top couple of teams that have been doing this over the last couple of years so hopefully in the future there's a little bit less uh indie ball signings going on because better drafting and better development doesn't force them to do that now on to the hitter of the week and that individual is kingsport third baseman mark vientos he played in seven games this week and had 26 at bats and he hit 385, 484, 923 with two doubles, four home runs, five walks, and two strikeouts. So at 18 years and 229 days old, Vientos is one of the youngest players in the Appalachian League. Only Everson Terriera, Nolan Gorman, Oswald Parasa, and Claudio Fingal are younger. And in many cases, when a young guy treads water, we see that as a good thing. And while Vientos isn't exactly crushing the league, he has been an above-average offensive producer through basically a little more than half the season now. Uh, he started off the season hitting an uninspiring but solid 258, 343, 419 in June. And then he hit 300, 391, 350 in the beginning of July. But he kind of fell into a slump by the middle of the month. Um, but of late, though, his bat has really come alive. In the last week of July, he's hit 286, 375, 686. So given that Vientos plays down in Kingsport, it's kind of difficult to get reliable first-hand accounts. I know that Jeff Federnostro is going to be going down to Kingsport at the beginning of August, and I'm going to be going down to Pulaski, Virginia, when Pulaski and uh, Kingsport play each other in the middle of August. So until then... Um, all first-hand accounts are going to be from third parties that I don't necessarily know or trust as being reliable or accurate. And that doesn't mean that these sources are unreliable, that they don't know what they're talking about. I just don't know them, so I can't say for certain how accurate and knowledgeable these people are. So take anything with a grain of salt until Jeff gets down there, until I get down there. Of course... You know, as listeners, you guys might think that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And then in that case, take anything I say with a grain of salt, too. But anyway, back to Vientos. Based on the account of others, uh, he's put on some additional weight in his lower half and is expected to uh, fill in a little bit more in his top half to match that. And right now he's listed at 6'4", 185. So that additional weight was expected because... 
um, projection and physical development was a big reason why Vientos was considered so highly in the 27 draft, 2017 draft last year. And while it might have hampered his ability to play shortstop because he's only played third base this season, he was always projected to have above average power because of this. And he was kind of projected to have to be moved off of shortstop and onto third to begin with. But anyway, with some tweaks to his mechanics, Vientos could become an even bigger power threat than he is right now. Um, He used a toe tap when he was in high school, and according to reports from this year, he has replaced that toe tap with a leg kick. And generally speaking, leg kicks give batters a bit more power, so that's good to see. Uh, His swing is pretty level. Uh, It's pretty linear, but... If his swing is changed to include a little bit more loft and plane, that could also give him more power. But these little things, you know, it's it's not to say that Vientos doesn't have power right now and that what he has been showing this season is cheap and that he's feasting on rookie-level junk and that his home runs are all wall scrapers and so on. Really, his season has been the opposite. Um, he's shown a lot of opposite field pop. He's shown the ability to hit balls you know that weren't exactly squared up on really far he has a few doubles that basically one hop the wall and grand rule doubles or outs that are just really loud deep fly ball outs he's showing you know above average power and that's good and with a few tweaks you know that above average power that he's flashing could theoretically become you know plus above average power that gets flashed and eventually maybe even becomes a regular thing. So that would be very nice. And then when you p- combine Vientos's power with his eye at the plate and his barrel control, you know, he doesn't strike out at a very high rate, which is something that most power hitters do. And Vientos does have a kind of long swing, but again, he doesn't strike out much. But you combine all this stuff together and you have a, a very exciting prospect. So I'm going to assume that... He makes it to Brooklyn at the end of the year for maybe a couple of token at-bats for a week or so. That's, Mets do like to do that. So that would be nice. Um, get some more views on Fientos at the end of the year. And then, depending, I guess, on how he looks during instructional leagues um, in October or the beginning of November, around there, though. And spring training and everything like that. Maybe he gets assigned to um, Brooklyn, but hopefully, though, he gets assigned to Columbia. Um, short, uh, not short A, excuse me. Gets assigned to, sent to low A, and, you know, we get to see how he does over the course of a full uh, season. So he's definitely um, impressing, though, this year, and... It's good that he is, because the system is, you know, not the best. But it is pretty strong at the bottom, and Fiantos is one of the reasons why. So, I will be back next week to highlight our Players of the Week for Week 16. Hello, Amazing Avenue listeners. Allison McCaig here with another installment of the Degrometer and the Nemometer where we bring you um, the latest statistics and recent updates on two of our favorite Mets, Jacob deGrom and Brandon Nimmo. Um, I am recording this on Thursday morning, August 2nd. Um, Jacob deGrom's most recent start um, was on Saturday, uh, July 28th, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, He pitched seven innings um, and allowed eight hits, three earned runs, 
didn't walk any batters and struck out five. Um, it was not Jacob deGrom's usual completely dominant self, but it's still a good pitching line by almost any standard. Um, of course, he took the loss, though, because the Mets scored no runs for him, and the bullpen would go on to give up two more runs, and the Mets lost five to nothing. Um, the usual. Um, on the season, um, he is now under 500 for the season at 5-6, and six, um, over 138 and a third innings pitched. He has a 1.82 ERA, a 0.98 whip, a 2.25 FIP, and a 5.13 walk-to-strikeout ratio. Um, he still has a pretty firm hold on the ERA lead, despite the fact that it rose um, from his most recent start, but he's still the only pitcher um, in baseball with an under two ERA. Um, his 5.2 Fangraphs WAR is third in baseball and first in the National League. Um, his 6.4 Baseball Reference WAR is third in baseball and second in the National League, only to Aaron Nola of the Phillies. Um, Brian and I were actually talking about this on the podcast about how. Um, we would really love to see the Mets get DeGrom to at least 10 wins because even though wins shouldn't matter, it seems like they matter a lot. Um, still, to people who vote for the Cy Young, despite Felix Hernandez hopefully kind of setting a precedent that it shouldn't matter as much, um, it seems improbable that he'll get to double-digit wins at some at this point, but it would be kind of symbolic for him to get to 10 wins, if, even if he could be like 10-7 and seven or something. That would be awesome. Um, one of the things I'm really like looking for in the second half is for the Mets to rattle off a few wins for DeGrom in a row. That would be ideal, but obviously it seems like it's asking too much of this team. Um, but hopefully they can do it. Um, let's move on to Brandon Nimmo. Um, I have some good news on Nimmo this week, finally. Um, he had had a couple of bad weeks in a row, um, especially since he um, hurt his pinky finger getting hit by a pitch. It seems like he really wasn't the same, um, but he seems to be finally, finally breaking out of his slump over the past week. In the last seven days, um, in 27 plate appearances, he has a 120 WRC plus with a 407 on base percentage. His strikeouts are down. His walks are up. He's looking more like the Brandon Nimmo we all know and love. Um, he has five hits over the past week, three singles and two doubles, and he has two runs scored. Um, like his fellow young left-handed outfielder Michael Conforto, hopefully he's finally breaking out. Um, it's worth noting, I know that this isn't the Conforto meter, but it's worth noting that Michael Conforto has a 160 WRC plus over the past week and a 187 WRC plus for the second half. Um, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward as a mashing scooter is something that is immensely helpful for the Mets and something that we need to even hope to contend next year. So uh, on the season, Brandon Nimmo has 359 plate appearances and has a 134 WRC plus, which is third among uh, National League outfielders. He has 74 hits, 13 home runs, 52 runs scored, 31 RBIs, and seven stolen bases. His 2.6 Fangraphs WAR is sixth among NL outfielders, and he has a 1.9 Baseball Reference WAR. Um, even though he slowed down from his torrid first half, um, I think that Nimmo has finally shown this season that he is far more than a fringe fourth outfielder, which is what many pegged him as going into the season. Um, he is instead a legitimate um, 
MLB starter, and it seems like he'll have at least a three-war season, which is pretty great. Um, and Nimmo and Conforto are reasons to be optimistic moving forward, even though there's not a lot of things to be optimistic about, along with Jacob deGrom, obviously. Um, so that does it for this week's installment of the Nemometer and the DeGrometer. Um, looking forward to giving you guys another rendition next week. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it. We would also appreciate it if you went to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice and subscribed, rated, and reviewed our show. Those things help us out quite a bit. If you like what we do, that will help us ensure that more people hear it, and that can only be a good thing. You can also go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can read things by myself, Allison, and Steve, and lots of other folks from the site. Uh, we mentioned on the show that Chris wrote a great piece about how the Mets need to sign Manny Machado. I highly recommend that one as something to start with if you've never been to Amazing Avenue, to, Avenue before, uh, which would be weird if you're listening to this show, but, you know, who knows? Whatever. Um, you can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And uh, you can get this show directly from blogtalkradio.com. And you can follow all of the contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Uh, Allison is at Petite PhD, and Steve is at Steve Saipa. So next week, probably more of the same, to be honest. I'm trying to find a silver lining here, and it's just not showing up right now. So until next time, let's go Mets. Thank you.